welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Thursday deep dive episode. We have Ian Gray on the show and we're talking Poshmark. I want to confirm uh, we got told, I think some people may have been laughing at us. We called it Poshmark. And if you're laughing at us again for thinking it would be called that, because isn't that a term, posh, right? Isn't that a fashion term? It shows how- uh, I have no idea, but- It shows how, well, it shows how cool we are. Either way, Ian, <laughs> how are we doing today? Um, doing doing well, you know, trying to trying to live a more posh life. So, you know, always, <laughs> always striving for the top. There we go. So we're, we're gonna be talking, that, that was a great dad joke there. We're gonna be talking Poshmark today, but first, Ryan, why don't you talk about our friends at Seven Investing? Yeah, so, we're getting close to the new RECs, if I'm not mistaken. And if you were paying any attention to the markets today, there's been some big sell-offs. So I've got a feeling this next batch of recommendations might be uh, some enticing ones. And yeah, you can use fun. our code CCM for $10 off. So it's only $7 for your first month and you can access all their old RECs as well. Um, I don't know. There's no reason not to do it. No, I mean, it's a it's a great addition to your research process. I love seeing it each month. It, it, you know, I usually write down three or four where I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a deeper dive on this and research them. It's fantastic. And it's at a reasonable price. So do you want nothing else to say? a Starbucks coffee or do you want life-changing returns? Life-changing returns. Well, thank you, Susan. You. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, use code CCM. Uh, I think we can get to the show now. Yeah, yeah go ahead and introduce Poshmark. Yep. Poshmark is a uh, consumer to consumer fashion focused social marketplace. So it's primarily used for reselling clothing. Um, And so people sign up and you give them a bit of data. So stuff like clothing size, brands you like, area code, um, just because you can get some stuff closer to you. Um, And then based on that info, they recommend basically clothes that you might like. I mean, uh, it's almost like eBay with a better recommendation algorithm. And it seems uh, like they focus on the, the recommendation algorithm for each individual user, right? They do. And it's like, it's the social part is that it's other people selling this stuff to you. So I, today I went on, signed up, made an account to kind of check it out. And I could look up Lululemon shirts and there's people reselling them for cheaper than you get them at the Lululemon store for. Um, so it's like, if you like it, why not buy it through there? If you're comfortable buying resale uh, or resold clothing. Um, but it's two-sided obviously. So, uh, buyers can also be sellers. Um, you can go on there with more of a focus for selling, but you can do both. That's where I say it's a little bit like eBay. Um, and then Poshmark takes a 20% fee on the final price if the item is over $15. And if it's less than $15, it's a flat fee of $2.95. Um, and so when you think about it in comparison to some of its possible competitors, the benefits are that it really provides more, when we call when we say social commerce, it's more focused on the commerce, less on the social. Um, now it's trying to make some, 
sort of inroads towards that social component, but it's really just an end-to-end solution for reselling your clothing. Yeah, and they try to make that pitch that social aspect is going to make them differentiated, you know, make them better than their competitors, but we'll kind of see and maybe we'll talk about that. Ian, do you have anything? Yeah, I'll just add one thing. Um, And you sort of mentioned it, Ryan, but they have this functionality because I signed up for an account as well to kind of see how it worked. And this, what they call the feed, right? Where you see the people that you're following or things that you might be interested in. And that did feel, at least to me, like a social media feed that you're really scrolling through and seeing some of those types of things. So, um, you, you know, to their credit, there's, there's, it's a little different, but um, definitely, definitely probably more focused on the commerce. Yes. It seems like the features, a lot of them have been copied you know, from Instagram and Pinterest, is that fair to say? The social features, yeah, I'd say they would. Um, I, I think the what like Facebook Marketplace and Pinterest maybe lack is like all the uh, logistic side for the sellers. Right. Um, it's less, that, that stuff's more focused on social and less on giving the, like all the fulfillment or all the backend stuff of the actual commerce. Yeah. And I'd just say, I think there's also more functionality in terms of like searching for consumers, like on Facebook marketplace, you can kind of search for like Nike clothing, but it won't necessarily be curated in a very um, intuitive manner. Whereas like the search function functionality on uh, Poshmark seem to be much, you know, you could click on the category, right? I want to see Nike shirts um, right. or I want to see Under Armour shoes or whatever it is. So it kind of, it seems to have a little better, um, a little better display, a, bit, a little better user interface for, for users who are trying to, uh, you know, search for a specific type of clothing. And, right. and, and the use case. Less, like, I was just going to say a little bit less like Craigslist, right? A little more like Poshmark versus Craigslist. Yeah, the use cases are all different too. So, I mean, some people maybe treat it more like a social feed where you're following Serena Williams' closet or whatever. I know that she's like a partner. Yeah, she's um, on the board. Uh, so... Some people maybe use it like that, like, oh, I want to get that type of clothing. Or some people might use it where I'm looking for Nike shirts that are being resold and they care less about the social feature. So it really just depends on each user. But I'll get into the history. Uh, they were founded in 2011 by a group of people. Bear with me. I suck with names. Everyone knows that. Uh, Chaitan, Pungalia, 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 uh, Guatam, Golwala, Manish Chandra, and Tracy Sun. How'd I do? The C plus, I don't know. South <laughs> South Asia is kind of, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough test for you, but. All right. Well, the first three uh, initially worked at Caboodle um, and Caboodle was a company that Manish Chandra uh, created prior to founding uh, Poshmark. And then Tracy's son was actually a fashion industry executive, but they all sort of came together uh, to build Poshmark uh, and Posh, I guess, Posh is sort of a fashion term and Mark stands for marketplace. I think, uh, I'm not an expert on that. So do not take my word for that, but I've heard the term, the term before. Anyway, um, they, Chandra sold Caboodle for 30 million prior to founding Poshmark. And so uh, raising funds was pretty easy for them. Uh, they used a lot of the same venture capitalists when they started Poshmark. Um, they started just mobile only, but they slowly evolved into other areas. So I think it was just iOS and then they pivoted to Android also. And now they're obviously on desktop. Um, and at one point they actually had sort of a debacle with the US Postal Service um, that almost led to Chandra going to jail. Apparently that might be an over-exaggeration, but uh, it eventually turned into a partnership that Postmark now calls Posh Post. Where oh, buyers- that's drink that you said po- Poshmark. Posh. 
Posh, sorry, Poshmark. Posh Post is where the buyers pay a flat fee to ship any item with the U.S. Postal Service up to five pounds, which is 99% of the sales. And sellers get a prepaid, pre-populated shipping label when an item is sold. And so they kind of have this good partnership going with the Postal Service. And then uh, I guess other notable items, they had a data leak in 2019, but it ended up being pretty inconsequential. It sounds like nothing was really, no passwords were hacked, no financial information or addresses. Um, and then they ended up going public in January of 2021. So they've almost one quarter now. Yeah, three months, three months. They did their full year results. You don't, we don't have Q1 results yet. They're kind of, they're one of those late. But they have filed a 10K. They have filed a 10K. So we got to see that and the S1 as well. Yeah, I'll hit the um, industry and landscape competition here. Pretty simple, social commerce, which is defined as the, you know, it's easy, it's in the name. It's e-commerce and social combined into one. We talked about that with Pinterest last week. That industry is supposed to grow to a $600 billion industry within seven years. As uh, the one that's tasked with researching these industry things each time, I've come to realize that these numbers a lot of the time are wild guesses. So don't get bogged down on that $600 billion number. Just know that it is one, a massive industry and it's going to be a massive industry and it is growing like gangbusters. So giant tailwind behind them, but they have a large list of competitors on their 10K they list, uh, but there's other ones as well. Amazon, eBay, Etsy, Facebook, Mercari. Mercari is a very close competitor. And then there's also Shopify, TJ Maxx and Walmart. TJ Maxx and Walmart, nah, probably not. Uh, but since this is kind of similar to Pinterest, I'll ask again, who do you guys think Poshmark's true competitors are? Ian, we'll, we'll start with you. I think, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one. I think eBay is probably a close one. And I also think that actually this is one of those businesses where a big competitor is the existing, um, kind of more brick and mortar type stores and places, you know, uh, there's like some of this, it's not, this isn't focused on thrifting. It doesn't seem like to me, it's more focused on like some of these brands like Nike or Lululemon. But um, I know that people do like with clothing sometimes to go out and uh, kind of touch and feel it and find a good deal at, you know, a local place or something like that. So I, I don't know, this is a tough one to find a true competitor for. Okay, Ryan, what do you thought? What do you think? As far as like resale for clothing, I think, Yes, there are alternatives to what Poshmark offers, um, but I think Etsy, eBay, and then ThreadUp is another one. Yeah. Uh, they're a platform that's very similar, actually went public recently, um, but I think it's like a quarter of the size or maybe less. Do you think Pinterest will be one soon? They, they, could, they could possibly overlap in the future. They may even overlap a little bit now, but I just don't think they're it feels very different. Okay. So different value proposition. Yeah. From the customer's point of view, like if I'm going onto Pinterest, I'm kind of going there for inspiration. If I'm going to Poshmark, I'm going there because I want to buy clothing. Okay. So you see people having both. All right. That makes sense. Um, Ian, any thoughts on that? And then not just kick off management and ownership. Yeah, I'll go ahead and dive into management. Um, so as Ryan mentioned, Manish Chandra is the CEO who's also a founder I watched a couple of interviews he did and I like the way he engages interviews. He seems to be long-term focused um, and really trying to create value. He said when he started the company, he wasn't really a fashionable guy. Um, wasn't a uh, focused on that piece of it. He was more focused on the community aspect and the social aspect was really what intrigued him. And so he said, that's been a big part of 
kind of developing this company is trying to find that right balance between community and co commerce and not completely excluding one or the other and having, having to find that right optimal point where um, they really benefit each other. He owns about 7% of the company, so a fairly healthy stake. Uh, there's also some venture capital ownership. A lot of the major owners right now are venture capital um, firms who backed them in the uh, you know Series A, B, C, whatever. Um, he, so there's probably going to be some sales once we hit the lockup period. I was finding a little bit of conflicting information about when that would be. One said like 93 days, another one said, which would be around now, and another said uh, July. So sometime in the next few months, um, there's probably going to be some sales from especially those venture capital um, firms. And that's not a reason not to buy but you should be aware that there's probably going to be some price volatility, especially it's, you know, it's a small company. It's a um, recent IPO, but they've also got a lockup period expiring sometime soon. So it just, there, there's likely to be some price volatility. Yeah. And those usually are six months, but they can be different for, for each company. So probably this summer. Yeah. The, I think the IPO was initially priced in like the 32 to $33 yes. a share range, but it, they, it came out at $42 a share and then, well, so those they re-upped it before it started trading in the 40s, which is kind of where it's trading now. And then it went up almost 150% on the first day on the open yeah. trade. It reached $104 a share and it's down almost 70% since. Yep. And that kicks her off right into the valuation. Since it's down now, the market cap is about $3 billion. Ticker is P-O-S-H. Very less, easy one. Less today. I think it's like 2.8. 2.8 now. Yeah. yeah. I was doing this research last night. So forgive me. Pretend like we recorded this two days, two days before. Either, either way, there'll be two more days until this comes out. So, yeah. you know. Just look up the, your own information. Um, I'm getting an enterprise value close to $2.5 billion. So they added a good amount of cash on their balance sheet before the IPO. And I'm adding on the $277 million that they raised. Ian might have some more on that on the balance sheet, but I'm thinking the enterprise value is a little bit lower than that market cap. So EV to sales would be at or under 10 on a trailing basis. EV to gross profit of about 12. Got me a bit excited, a little more reasonable than some of the companies we typically look at, but enterprise value to operating income is still over a hundred. They're still quite close to that break even number. And then EV to operating cash flow was about 30 due to the working capital dynamics with accounts payable to customers. So they have a bit of a delay in the payments process, which allows them to, you know, expense some of that cash flow. Uh, but yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. This expense some of the things they are going to owe to customers, but they don't pay it out for another period, if that makes sense. Right. And operating cash flow and free cash flow uh, were very similar yep. with the business. Yep. Um, uh, if I were, if I'm looking at this, I would pay most attention to free cash flow and just make sure that those working capital impairments aren't temporary. Yeah. And it's not, it's, yeah. I don't or know if impairments the right word, just the adjustments it has versus the income uh, versus the cash flow generated. And then the last thing I'll say with uh, valuation is a lot of times with new IPOs, some of these aggregator sites can get share count or market cap off. So make sure you're getting it correct. And the share count is going to change a bit. Um, you know, right after the IPO, there can be some big adjustments there that you should be watching out for. But Ryan, you want to talk earnings? Yeah, in 2020, they had GMV or gross merchandise volume of 1.4 billion, up 29% year over year. Their trailing 12-month active buyers reached six and a half million. 
up 20% year over year and uh, had about 262 million in revenue, also growing around 28% year over year. Uh, they were net profitable on a gap basis, but just barely. Uh, that was a big improvement from last year. They had 84 million in operating cash flow and I think 82 million in free cash flow. So that puts them at a operating cash flow or free cash flow margin right around 30 to 32%. Uh, Stock-based compensation was only about 3% of revenue. Good to see that. Uh, uh, Pre-IPO, there will be probably a big hit post-IPO, but that is nice. Even before when they're private, they weren't issuing it like crazy. Right. We see. I just feel like we see so many young companies just pour all yep. their expenses, or their typically their salaries into stock. Yeah, we'll typically see a ten percent number for sure. But uh, yeah, this one seemed relatively low. Um, those were pretty much all the points for earnings. Ian, you want to hit balance sheet? Yep. They have $262 million in cash on their most recent 10K. But as Brett was alluding to, they raised about 252, I think the number was $277 million um, in cash from the IPO. And so that number I would expect to be somewhere around $500 million, but you won't, you're going to want to take a look at that when the quarterly come out, comes out. Yep. They've got on the balance sheet on the most recent one, it says they have $55 million in debt. Um, those are all convertibles though. And they converted when the company IPO, they converted um, into shares, basically at a 15% discount, they were they paid um, 85 cents on the dollar for shares from that uh, convertible debt. Um, pretty straightforward balance sheet. Uh, as Ryan was mentioning, they have a significant liability of what they call funds payable to customers, which has a lagging effect. You know, it, it hits earnings, but then doesn't hit cash. And so you see that difference um, accounted for on the balance sheet and in the cash flow statement. And so their cash flow is um, positively impacted by that. And it seems like from looking at the last couple of years that that is fairly steady and a fairly steady pr proportion of revenue. And so it's not like they, um, you know, significantly, it didn't look to me like they significantly increased that to make cash flow look better right before the IPO. Um, and then one final note, they don't hold inventory. And so there's no inventory on the balance sheet, um, which, you know, keeps the company fairly capital light. Yeah, yeah there's, it's a platform, you know, they're not the one selling. Yeah, that yep. is, yeah. And uh, we joke about that type of stuff, but it's true. It's a, it's a big advantage for them. And the balance sheet is, I mean, super easy. Only what, like 10 light items on there. So, yep. yeah. All right, let's take a break and then we're going to get back and talk head of advantages, future growth opportunities, and we got a new segment um, that Ryan will introduce. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Next up, we're going to toss in a new category. Uh, this one's going to be a quick one, uh, but Ryan's going to talk about it. Yeah, so uh, sometimes we have uh, stuff that's sort of consumer-facing platforms, so I thought it might be a good idea to get maybe customer experience or some sort of experience that we have with the products. Not all of us have to answer this one, but if we have any kind of anecdotes or experiences, it might be uh, useful information. And I'll start. If you guys have anything, feel free to include it. But uh, there was a postman uh, or a mailman who had invested early in Amazon and Etsy, uh, I think maybe on another one as well. But 
he just said like he would deliver pra- deliver packages and every time something got shipped he would just kind of keep track in his head what he was seeing most of um and he said he said everyone should be looking out for Poshmark uh because the stock seen- went down like 60 percent, but it's okay we'll cut him <laughs> he said he was seeing a lot of packages <laughs> um so i guess a little uh evidence there if you want to take that mailman's edge uh, uh it's uh i guess it's being used a lot. They're shipping a lot of packages. Yeah. I have no product experience. I know you guys just downloaded today. So you guys technically have just kind of investor product experience, but did you have any thoughts on the app without actually using it? For me, it it wasn't the type of thing that I'd want to uh, use. I don't think generally I try and spend as little time as possible buying clothing. And so I don't really want to incorporate a social aspect into um, buying clothing Uh, much more, you know, I'd be much more interested in something like Stitch Fix that just sends me clothing and I don't have to spend any time working on it. So um, it's like, the I, I, yeah, right, exactly. But um, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, like I could see that some people would definitely use it. I, yeah. And I did, I did not actually make any purchases, but I did see stuff that I would have bought if I were looking for new clothing at the time. And it was cheaper than what you get in store, obviously. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. All right, let's hit competitive advantages. Sorry, Ian, we always start with you. What do you have? Yep. I'll start with kind of what I was just mentioning there, actually, the social component. A lot of the companies we've been talking about recently talk about social commerce. That's like a buzzword now. Um, I'm somewhat impressed with them that they've actually done it, right? They're like arguably the only company that's really doing social commerce completely, Um, and I'm sure people will fact check me on that and come up with other things that I'm not thinking of at the moment, but it seems like everyone else is like trying to get into it and that's what they are. So I think that gives them a little bit of a competitive advantage and just a first movers advantage, um, to kind of understand the balance between social and commerce, because I think that's actually a pretty hard line to walk and just the experience they've had so far, I think provides some tacit knowledge for them to kind of, you know, develop that just that good model and knowing how to walk that line. Yeah. It's interesting to see how they're going to be able to defend themselves. Cause there's a lot of people announcing whether they're just kind of trying to get some buzz in the news. There's a lot of people announcing that they intend to do stuff similar to Poshmark. So it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they can defend their or keep their users on the platform. But Ryan, Ryan, what do you have? Uh, I guess two. So they kind of have a niche. Um, they're expanding out of this, but fashion resale is pretty niche and i mean the if you're if i'm just like clearing out my closet the it's either poshmark or i'm throwing it away uh it's not and so that allows them to take a bit of a higher take rate because people want to be getting money for it anyways that's sort of uh, there's people that have built brands on poshmark as well but uh for like the closet clearing people they don't really care what the take rate is. Um, and then scale to a point. So if you are a seller on Poshmark and you've built up this big follower base, um, you have guaranteed demand. And so you take a big risk leaving if uh, you want to do something in-house or you know if you have built this brand on Poshmark and you're like, all right, I'm going to build my own website, you might lose a whole bunch of demand that way. Um, and so it kind of keeps the sellers on the platform. Yeah, that kind of, that moves right into mine. I'm going to sound like a broken record because I think I've chosen this a lot in the, in the recent shows, but the flywheel dynamics with the online marketplace, I think are pretty enticing here. I think they're legit. Uh, you know, a lot of times people talk about the flywheel and we're kind of like, eh, maybe, 
but Poshmark, I think, is cool. Uh, the sellers come to Poshmark, like Ryan said, because there are 6.5 million buyers and growing, and the buyers will come because they have the most inventory to look at. Um, this will hopefully feed on itself, and if they execute, you know, you could see themselves establishing a moat. You know, I don't know. It's pretty simple in that regard. Yeah. All right. Hi, not highlights and lowlights. I'm way off base today. Uh, future growth opportunities. What did you have, Ian? My future growth opportunity is posh parties and then other features that they might develop like that. So a posh party is basically, um, well, first I'll note, it's actually, this is one of those companies that everything you look at is posh something, right? It's always posh parties, posh pay, posh post. And so it gets a little confusing. Um, I don't know if that's a competitive advantage or not. And I did, I'll mention this too, just so that we're clear, set the record straight. Posh, the official dictionary definition, posh elegant or stylishly luxurious. So All right, well, I think that right. perfectly, this is a pretty posh podcast, I would say. But, <laughs> yeah, you can could, you could see why we didn't, uh, we, we weren't aware of that term. But, uh. <laughs> but anyways, posh parties. Um, basically, it, it allows sellers to say, like, we're going to set up a party like selling jeans today, or like skinny jeans. And then that seller can like place something on like post it to this party and then other people can also post things to the party. And so it becomes kind of a hub of this, like of all these items that center around some sort of theme. And then people are like reposting the party. And so it's a little bit of, I'll, uh, it's like the LinkedIn thing, right? If you give me like a, a like on my, you know, that I'm good at financial modeling, then I'll come back and say that you're good at financial modeling too, or something like that. You know, it's like, if you, if you post my party, then I'll post your party and we'll all, you know, kind of make money off of each other's audiences. And so I don't know exactly, like, I wouldn't want to buy anything off of a posh party probably, but, um, I think, I like the direction they're going and trying to experiment with different types of social features. I don't know of any other thing that's really similar to a posh party. And so I think it's a unique idea. And I think if they continue to try and test out unique ideas like that, I think they're going to hit some good ones. Yeah. The, the community aspect of it, could they give them some sort of positive? It's tough though, building those social, you know, things online, especially with the shopping. I don't know. Cause you know, someone like us, we're not just going to be like, all right, let's join this thing. It's kind of, you, you got to be the right demographic. Yeah, I think uh, I kind of like the idea of, it's almost like virtual events, like almost virtual conferences. Like they have their Poshmark like actual event. It's kind of like smaller scale ones, but I'll get to my future growth opportunity. It's not super exciting. Um, and it's obviously kind of just the logical next step, but uh, international expansion. So they just launched into Australia, which is the first new market outside of North America. Um, feels like a mod model that's probably applicable to most places. Um, and Australia is, given that it's such a social experience, they want it to be English speaking countries for the time being, or that that's where it's yeah. easiest to grow into. Um, right. And so it seems like a good, uh, country or continent, I guess, uh, to be entering. Yeah, makes sense for sure. All right, mine were pets and toys. I wanted to talk about this one because it seems a bit strange. Um, and it's kind of a weird, you know, they're diverging a bit from the fashion part, but the pets is just items for pets. So I guess fashion for pets, you know, there's some diehard, you know, people that have pets that like to dress them up, stuff like that. And then toys, each schools, kids toys, but secondhand. Um, you know, uh, you think if maybe they get the personalized feed correct, it could be good. Um, and it might make sense building out that for the secondhand market because it seems like there's an opportunity there. 
but does it make sense for them to do this? Does it dilute the fashion and apparel part of the platform if you have all these other items on there? Yeah, for me, I think the first thing that comes to mind is Ryan's competitive advantage, that it's a, a niche for him, right? And that that seems like the way that they could kind of insulate from things like, um, you know, social commerce on Instagram, right? Whereas that would just be kind of an uncurated mess to some extent um, and not focused on clothing um, that Posh, Poshmark could really gain market share and just the clothing and really capitalize on that. There should be plenty of room within clothing to, you know, there's plenty of market opportunity. Um, and it, it, it would scare me if that feed started becoming less useful um, yeah, and a little yeah. bit harder to navigate the site that it just seems like that's kind of, it might, they might be losing some of their competitive advantage. And the last thing I'll say on that too, is if they feel the need to expand into that type of stuff, the, the clothing market seems plenty big enough to me. Um, and I'd rather see them trying to gain a larger market share of that than trying to pivot to something else. And so it's, it indicates to me that they might be, um, slowing that revenue growth might be slowing down in the clothing market. And so they're trying to pivot to something else to kind of sustain some short-term revenue growth. But I don't know that's, that's the cynical side of me. No, I agree. That's the same thing. Thoughts I had that, you know, it seems a bit strange. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on that though? That, well, they launched the pets and toys category uh, alongside the beauty and wellness category and the beauty and wellness category makes sense to me, but the yeah. pets and toys, it feels if they see that it's not working or that it's diluting the experience, I would like to see them shut it down fast. Uh, companies that are able to figure out when something isn't working, that's usually a positive sign. It yeah. feels like yeah. I, this was maybe a dangerous move. Um, well, the yeah, so the thing that would make it possibly work is if they can make the feeds personalized enough and they're actually good at that. So if someone is, uh, say you have a kid and you, you want to see the, and you have a family, maybe you have a, you know, a pet and a kid and you want to see the toys and the pet stuff, maybe they know that and they can be good enough like a Facebook or something like that to personalize the feed enough. But if you have your core customer that's a diehard, you know, shopaholic, I guess, and wants to get a look at all these secondhand clothing and you're diluting that, that would be the red flag. But it seems like they'd be able to personalize that is good, you know, well, right? I'm just not sure that people want another general yeah. social media app, right? That's I think that's right. one that's of the right. things here yeah. is that it's actually like you can get, and I think people will see more and more of these, but these specialized social media apps where I am looking for a community of people who love secondhand clothing, but, right? Yeah. And then this has the commerce piece of it. And, um, I don't know. I, I could be proven wrong. But. Yeah, no, it seems like they're going after the short-term revenue opportunity. It might hurt their long-term their long-term opportunity. But yeah, I guess we'll hit highlights and lights to wrap things up. Ian, what do you have? So highlights for me, uh, unique idea. I think the social commerce thing is interesting and in that they're actually, they seem to be moving in the right direction and doing that. Um, steady revenue growth. A couple of the lowlights. Um, when I was searching some stuff on Google, I typed in does Poshmark and like a couple of the the couple of the top results was does Poshmark or autofill results were um, like stuff like does Poshmark sell fakes? Um, so I don't think like I think that's probably people trying to see if it's legitimate or not. And so it's not necessarily a low light because I probably they probably go they there meant, and they. What if they met does Poshmark sell fake IDs? <laughs> that could be it. That could be yeah, it. Uh, maybe well, that's a new market they're expanding into. Yeah. And the thing is, they can't control that. You're right. Cause it's like, right. They can't, the consumer might be selling fakes, but I don't know. So what? Right. And it's, and it's part of the thing. Um, 
like, and this gets into my other low light, is they talk a lot about building brands. I'm not sure how much you really build a brand of selling used goods. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one so thing that all, might happen, or go ahead. all used goods. I know people sometimes are like uh, trading at like Etsy, like they've bought maybe clothing or they got clothing or maybe they make clothing and they're using it to sell mm-hmm. it on Poshmark. So I know some, but then some people are just clearing their closet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I was just going to say when it's, when it's talking about, you know, when people are wondering if Poshmark sells fakes, if people can build brands on it and gain some credibility and you get some reviews and all that type of stuff, like I'm sure that satisfies the consumers um, to some extent, but I think that's, that's definitely a big headwind here is just gaining that consumer confidence. I assume they have to spend some decent, um, decent money acquiring customers and convincing them that this is a legitimate site. Yeah, it seems like, and again, we're just introduced to this company, so we don't want to tell them what to do. And this analogy gets used a lot, but it seems like they can learn a ton from Airbnb that as you know, you know, just, what I mean? in, just in like the philosophy of how you treat your sellers. Yeah. Yeah. And I did see some lowlights in that regard where sellers weren't necessarily necessarily happy. I think you got to keep the sellers happy. Um, That's been the biggest success of Airbnb is to a fault they, they keep the host, which is the sellers happy. Yeah. I mean, sellers are the main part of the platform. If they can provide content, buyers will come. Yeah. All right, Ryan, what about your highlights? Uh, highlights for me, I think I actually think, even though it's a 20% fee, I think the sellers appreciate transparent pricing. Um, even if it's higher than others, you know what you're getting. Uh, I think that actually, and eBay's made a point of this, uh, it hurt eBay because no one really knew exactly what the fees they were getting. Um, also, I think resale is really overlooked uh, and Poshmark really provides a good end-to-end solution that Facebook and Pinterest can't or yeah. don't. Yeah. Um, Lowlights for me, guidance wasn't great. Uh, revenue guidance was fine. EBITDA guidance was pretty bad, uh, at least for the first quarter, I thought. Um, but they also talk a lot about the social component and they have a lot of sort of ventures or bets into the social component. I don't think they need to focus as much on the social component as they do making sure the infrastructure and the logistics for sellers and buyers is really easy, making sure returns is easy uh, and making sure that they're able to diagnose when a return is. So one of the scenarios that I saw was a seller sent something to a buyer and the buyer said the zipper doesn't work and returned it. Well, the the zipper worked fine according to the seller, but the buyer probably tried it on and just didn't want it. And uh, in that specific case, Poshmark just didn't respond and they just said, no, you have to keep it. Yeah, that's the problem so with these things. That's where, you know, making sure, uh, focusing less on the social and focusing more on keeping your stakeholders happy is probably uh, important there. Yeah. And what do you guys think about the, the value problem? Or sorry, the take rate. Uh, I feel like to me that 20% seems solid you know, for the value, the value they're providing. Yeah. I think, I think lowering it for the sellers that have sold, uh, like a uh, number of times or so, been there for four years or something. Yeah. Let's say you have a, you know, a hundred thousand followers and you sold, um, whatever, 500 items or something like that, lowering the stake, lowering the, uh, take rate as they hit certain sort of thresholds 
would probably be a good idea to keep them on the platform because those are the ones that probably could build a Shopify or whatever and do it outside of Poshmark. Um, and they've said that it, I think one of the things in their uh, S1 or 10K said it could come down over time. Okay, um, Ian, but, what, are you, what are you, or sorry, anything else, Ryan? I would just add, like, if I were clearing out my closet and it's the one place I would go. Like if I wanted to, if I was like, oh, this is good, but I'm not gonna wear it anymore. I guess I could sell it on Poshmark. Cause if you're gonna try to sell it on Facebook marketplace or something like that, I don't know. There's like a distrust, I guess, like buying clothes. I think Poshmark's built a little bit of trust in reselling clothes. Uh, Craigslist, I don't think. I, I think it'd know. be tough. I don't um, know, hard to decide. What about you and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think 20% is, it's reasonable for for the sellers and and i think it's a good indication of the value that the, the posh market is providing and like ryan though i think the stepping it down for people who are doing a lot of sales is the smart thing to do kind of builds that seller seller loyalty and then also you know prevents them from jumping ship to like you were mentioning shopify or instagram or um wherever i think it you want to make sure you're keeping your sellers happy so okay okay i'll have my highlights um yeah, I think the moat they could they could develop the moat if they if they execute well. It's not there yet because they're still a young company, uh, and you know the moat talk is always overrated, but we try to hit it every time. I do think in this case they could develop one over time. I love the unit economics and margins and balance sheet. Really, everything checked out in the financials. Uh, and the nicest fact I saw was that twenty users spend twenty seven minutes a day on average on the platform. I think that's a good indicator that people like spending time on that, unlike something maybe like stitch fix and the value proposition might be a bit different or other places where people are buying things where they're not just spending time on there to spend time on there. Uh, I think that could be a plus, not sure if it's a deal breaker at all with them. Um, low lights, a lot of competitors emerging or will likely emerge. Uh, it's a highly dynamic market, which is tough. It's hard to predict what's going to end up uh, within the the used fashion space, but besides that, uh, I had trouble finding lowlights. A lot to like here. Um, anything else from you guys before we wrap up with the final question? No, no, no. Okay, more or less interested, Ian. I'd say I'm less interested, um, which is largely to do just because I'm worried about competition. Which I think oftentimes we put too much emphasis on competition, and it keeps us out of making potentially good investments because we're worried about these competitors. But um, this is a space where I just think there's there's going to be a lot of competition, and I'm not convinced that they have developed the the volume that they need to to really compete with that competition. Okay, Ryan, I, I think that is contributing a lot to the sell off. I'd imagine. Uh, apparently, the overvaluation probably did. Yeah, too. apparently Wall Street had pretty high guidance estimates for the first quarter, which you know that that hit it too. But yeah, that's probably that's probably some of it too. I'm definitely more interested. Um, this feels a little bit like Pinterest, like a year ago. There were some doubts, but and people kept saying, you know, competition, 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 and then they just went ahead and kept producing great results. Um, I think Poshmark can do that. I thought the financials were really good. I thought the price was fair. Valuations, uh, yeah, valuations, yeah. Little under 30 times free cash flow for a company that is growing at about 30% a year. That's yeah. pretty good. And, uh, and uh, it might be a little bit inflated over the long term once their growth slows, but still, still pretty solid. Yeah, I just, I, I think if this is a very successful social commerce business, this could be much bigger than two and a half billion or whatever it's at. Um, 
it uh, management was good. Uh, I liked Manish. Um, yeah, it, it checked a lot of the boxes for me. Yeah, you? that's one thing I'd have to check out is the management didn't really get much on that, but I'm more interested. Only concerns I have is the same ones as Ian, where it's just the dynamic industry. I think it reminds me a bit of Coursera. Uh, it's probably just because it's at the top of my mind just because we recorded something on them. But when there's so many questions about how the end state of the market will, you know, will be or what it will be, uh, it's just tough. And they have well-capitalized competitors, but also reasonable valuation and the great concept. I mean, that's going to keep me watching it for sure. That take rate invites competitors too. Yeah, it does. It does. Ian, anything else? I was just going to say, do you guys think that there might be a little bit of a floor here somewhere that this, that this company would be an acquisition target, um, particularly if, if the valuation got hit even further. It seems like with the, that there might be some of these with so many companies focused on social commerce, there may be like, I don't think we're at that floor right now, but there may be a floor uh, if they weren't to quite hit the estimates that they're wanting to. Here's some fake uh, M&A. We just get Revolve Group, Stitch Fix, and Poshmark (laughs) to merge. All of them merge. You just make it, you know, Revolve keeps the brand, Poshmark keeps the social, Stitch Fix keeps the data. We all just go home happy. And all all the competitors just merge. My only thing is it's just very different. It, it like it's yeah. just a lot of it is still resale fashion. Like it's eBay done right. Yeah. Um maybe eBay's and I don't know how big eBay is. Maybe they're an acquirer or something like that. But yeah, yeah, eBay can uh, acquire them. Yeah, I think there is a floor in this business. It's cash flow generative, has a lot of cash on hand. Uh yeah. it feels like an acquisition that would fail though. Not I mean Poshmark shareholders would end up being fine because they get acquired, but it feels like one of those Microsoft or uh, something like those acquisitions where they're like, meh. Could also be like an Instagram. It could, it could, it could. I guess there's a, there's a big range on acquisitions, so I don't, I don't know. But I think you're right, Ian, there is a floor. There is a floor. As long as they keep executing, the business doesn't go backwards. Yeah. All right, stock for next week, Ryan. Squarespace. Uh, Ooh, they okay. They are the website hoster. They, I don't think they've gone public yet you didn't uh, want to choose oatly but they have no. oat technology guys it's uh they filed their s1 they uh, are sort of a wix competitor and we're big fans of wix here uh we are shareholders so uh we're gonna take a look at them all right that sounds like a fun one that does sound like a fun one all right um that's gonna wrap things up thank you guys for listening as always remember we are not financial advisors anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation ryan and i are general partners at arch capital clients in arch capital may hold securities discussed in this podcast thank you all again we'll see you next week